welcome to episode 5 of The God Learners, the podcast about gaming and reading in the mythical world of Arantha. I'm Jörg. And I'm Lord Abdul, aka Ludovic. Usually I say it the other way, no? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we have today uh, a new guest, uh, Drew Becker. Hi, Drew. Hi, how's it going? Uh, good. Uh, and can you introduce yourself so uh, people know how to place you and uh, what you have to do with Lorenta, most importantly? Sure. So uh, my name is Drew Baker. I'm currently uh, living in Australia, in Melbourne. Um, and I've been a contributor to the Johnstown Compendium for over a year now. Um, with such titles as Rubble Redux and the Quick and Dirty series, also known as Quad. And I also work with, in collaboration with Neil Gibson, um, who is author of Legion. Um, and I guess that that's uh, that's it from my, my my credentials, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, we'll probably have some links in the show notes for all the stuff you have on Drive Through RPG, so people can buy it if they haven't bought it yet uh i have to say that i love how you started the quick and dirty series with quick and dirty stuff that pretty quickly became quick and dirty books that are like 200 pages long or three 600 pages long or whatever uh, i think the latest one like the big pimper's block collection is insanely big uh yes it it, it kind of spiraled a bit out of, out of control i have to admit but the, the idea behind that series was to give, especially games masters who might not have access to either time or materials to just be able to have something which was cheap and affordable, which they could drop in. And mm-hmm. as I say, it, it did kind of spiral um, out of control a bit when it came to the, the amount of work that was involved and what a, what we wanted to be able to put in there to to boost people's games yeah Uh, but such is life so before we get on with the news item we have a little bit of announcement uh jürgen i have put out a call online a few months ago for glorantha newbies so um people who have discovered glorantha um, with, you know, RuneQuest or whatever, but mostly RuneQuest generally. Uh, recently, so in the past two, three years, basically within the lifespan of the latest RuneQuest edition. And we wanted to interview them to see where they came from, uh, like how they discovered Glorenta, what hooked them to it, what they don't like about it. Um, what went wrong? What went wrong? Yeah, sometimes there were a few false starts uh, and then they tried again 10 years later or many more years later in one case <laughs> and, and it stuck. And so things like that. So we think it's kind of interesting uh, and we will start to put out those interviews um, basically in the middle of the month in between the normal God Learners episodes. So, well, we think they're interesting, but uh, those who don't find it interesting, they can skip it and wait for the usual episode to come up. Anyway, so watch out for that starting soon. Uh, and it's going to last for quite a few months because we got a, a pretty good response. So thanks to all of those who uh, replied. 
news news item. Anything important happened recently? Yes. Uh, well, I went to the first Groantha Life convention since the start of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Kraken in Germany. It uh, usually happens once a year, uh, usually in October, in a small chateau in Brandenburg. And it has become a place to rub shoulders with lots of uh, game designers. So this year uh, there were Sandy Peterson, uh, Neil Robinson, and Jason Durrell from Chaosium. Mm-hmm. And Pedro Zivani, who still is waiting for his Mythic Vikings to come out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, it still was uh, under the signs of the pandemic, but we all enjoyed having a meeting again. It's always a bit of like a family meeting. Yeah, it's not, it's not a very big convention on purpose, right? There's not too yes. many. Yeah. No, there's a limited, uh, uh, limited amount of space. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it was almost 80 people. Yeah, nice. And good food, I hear. Good food, yeah. Uh, there are a, a couple of pictures in the Facebook bo- uh, group, mm-hmm. which are not good to make people envious. And of course, there has been a video from this uh, from one of the panels already, yeah. with Jason and Neil uh, talking about the current uh, workings of RuneQuest. And another high point was uh, that there were c- a couple of boxes of the starter set available. So that's how I got mine. Mm-hmm. Nothing shady. <laughs> 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 yeah, practically uh, every uh, game system uh, that we have for Garantha was played there and a couple of unusual ones. Ooh, like what? Uh, I played a game where uh, we were five players getting in the head of one Garanthan character, uh, having to decide whether to join the Lunars or keep going on with a Humact initiation. Ooh. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, so basically, it was devil was uh, left shoulder uh, demon, uh, right shoulder demon, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, trying to get uh, yeah the decisions done. Was there any actual mechanic, or was it just like voting? Yes, for... uh, there's an actual mechanic. I, I look I look up the system and put it in the show notes. Oh, cool! Yeah, um, uh, so that was fun. Yeah, I want to check that out. Cool. Uh, so that's from the Kraken and. The starter box, yeah. Yeah, I hear you started the solo quest adventure. I started the solo quest adventure. I didn't get to uh, continue uh, because I was... Did you die? <laughs> no, uh, not yet. But, uh, for example, I tried to see Kalir and uh, Vasana has a charisma of 19. So, you know what you have to roll to fail this. <laughs> I managed. Wow, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Did you did you lose a leg? Not yet. Oh, good. <laughs> Not too bad then. Uh, when I have the, t- uh, I'm record, I'm recording notes of my tales of old there. Oh, awesome! Cool. Trying uh, not to spoil anything. So once I'm done with that, uh, I can put this forward wherever mm. we think uh, appropriate. Oh, nice. Yes. Awesome. Still have still I still have ten days or so uh, for this to be original. well probably a bit more because then you need to uh, add the time to actually ship to people's homes so you probably have a couple more days but uh yeah uh, what's behind this Uh, the release date has been announced yeah and it's the 10th of november or 10 11 21 which adds up to 42 (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) 
What else? Um, oh yeah, there was some uh, uh, other big news, which was the Greg Stafford Memorial Award, which um, is starting to basically come out every year, which is nice. And Catherine Dirim received it, which is um, which is pretty cool, uh, well deserved. She illustrates a whole bunch of stuff for Chaosium and the Johnston Compendium, and uh, she has this unmistakably classical mythic style that yep. really works well for um, something like Loretta. I like it. So congrats to Catherine uh, if you're listening. Drew, did you have any uh, any cool thing that happened recently? Well, it continues on, on various projects. Um, I'm enjoying, as always, Jeff's contribution to the, the Facebook groups. I especially enjoyed um, seeing his notes on the tribes of Sartar and the clans, which totally screwed up one of the scenarios which I was writing <laughs> at the time um, and yeah. re- required an entire rewrite. But I think it's better, so um, thanks to, to Jeff um, <laughs> on, on that. Um, but, but as always, the things which come out um, from the Facebook groups and the discussions that follow up are always um, intriguing and informative and shows, I think, how, how wide uh, Glorantha is being interpreted by people and, and that can only be a good thing. No, yeah, I like, uh, uh, I like all those, those things, although sometimes it uh, takes me a long time to compile them to, um, to the Journal of Phoenix Studies, which is the newsletter we put out every uh, Sunday. So I'm kind of grateful sometimes when Jeff posts a bit less. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I like it. Yeah, those maps were really great. And they also uh, messed up my current campaign, actually. <laughs> but not too much, actually. It's, um, my campaign is around alone. And like some of the tribal fr- uh, borders have moved a bit. Uh, some stuff has moved from what I expected. It's not too bad, though. I can rearrange without... Um, it's mostly swapping a couple things around and, and and I would still be good. So no no problem. I think along with the, the um, starter pack coming out as well, the map which is included in that shows um, a very different landscape to what we previously had. Rivers have changed. Some of the positions of uh, settlements have even changed. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, and I think some of the the interesting parts on on that have have a narrative that needs to to be looked at. I'm I'm working on the the principle that you don't have an eight kilometer long reptile suddenly rip out of the ground, swallow half of um, the <laughs> east part of Sartar, without it causing a little bit of um, <laughs> upheaval. Yeah. Um, in the in the region, so rivers will change courses. The upland marsh appears to have been slightly expanded. Mm. Um, well, it always is. It, yeah. It's always growing, but there's some interesting movement, shall we say, around that area. So I think that's a, an interesting place where uh, people are, are playing in Dragon Pass. Um, other regions are available, obviously. I think that that's something else which is developing within the game world. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about that. I'm mostly hoping that whatever scale they choose for this map, they stick to it from now on. <laughs> is it a mile? Is it a kilometer? There's that too, yes. <laughs> and has when uh, documents have been pulled over, has that calculation been correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. If, you, if you want some grand examples, um, I point you into the... Um, for the maps of Pavis and especially the big rubble that <laughs> contracts and expands um, all the time, even though the text doesn't. So that's um, <laughs> one of the more interesting ones. And, and we, we hope that um, when the much promised new version comes out, that that'll uh, get fixed in uh, a similar way to um, Dragon Pass. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, anyway. I mean... Uh, how well is the mile defined? <laughs> no, 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 we're not going to go there. <laughs> we're not going to go into uh, uh, ancient measurement systems. Um, well, speaking of uh, Pavis and uh, Prax, should we move there or do we have more news? Uh, yeah, well, moving to uh, moving to Pavis actually is one thing we might still mention. Uh, there's... Uh, Fairly big new uh, thing on the Johnston Compendium, the Black Spear. Oh, yeah. Nick Brooks' mini campaign thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's a scenario which I think defies almost everything that you expect from a RuneQuest scenario while being very RuneQuest and even more Garanta. Yeah. The tribal item of the Kolima, the writer and the Black Spear, is going to be handed to players to do yeah. something with. And people who have played in the region earlier will meet a couple of old acquaintances. Yeah, there's a lot of callbacks to RQ2, RQ3 stuff, which basically goes over my head because I never played those things or even read them much. But thankfully, Nick Brook explains all of the references to you. But yeah, uh, let's move on to somebody else's travels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On to the main topic, uh, the travels of Bitterian Varush Part 3. First, I'm going to explain what Bitterian Varush is for people who um, don't necessarily know. They are a bunch of sidebars that are from the, um, might we say, like legendary and influential uh, Cults of Prax, which was um, one of the early supplements of RuneQuest 2nd uh, edition back in 1979. Uh, the book contains a collection of cults that players can join because the rule book only included, I think, two or three. Um, but anyway, to illustrate these cults, the book has a bunch of sidebars that follow the travels of a merchant and Isaris priest named Bitterin Varosh. He goes around Prax having those uh, adventures and making money and sometimes losing money. <laughs> um, it's a classic world-building trick for RuneQuest books, so uh, people who are familiar hopefully with the um, latest edition of RuneQuest. In the rulebook, there is the Vasana saga, which is also a bunch of sidebars that explain the story of Vasana, which both helps illustrate the rules 
but also brings the world of Goranta to life through um, a bit of fiction. And so it was the same with those um, travels of Bitter and Varosh. And you can uh, get Cults of Prax from Chaosium in digital and print-on-demand. So in our old podcast, Windwards, we started reading along those sidebars and uh, adding some hopefully interesting or insightful commentary. You can check those previous episodes in our archive. Uh, We'll probably have some links in the show notes. But for those who didn't listen to them and who don't uh, know the story of Bitter and Varosh, I'm going to do a quick summary. So Bitter and Varosh is a merchant from Dragon Pass who is going to prax with some mules loaded with stuff and uh, that he wants to sell and trade uh, with. He starts by acquiring some slaves from the slave market at Pimper's Block because I guess gaming material in the 70s had no problem with uh, slavery um, right off the bat in the first pages of the book. Um, those two slaves are Nora Yip, a Praxian woman from the Bison tribe, and her little brother Morak, who apparently has, it's kind of weird, like uh, he has some horns, mysterious horns that he hides, um, but that uh, Bitterin uh, discovers a bit later. Together they travel along and around Caravan Alley, so across Prax, they uh, witness some baboons doing some worship ritual to Dakafal. They um, get a group of Stormbull Berserkers to escort them a bit, but they have a falling out over bad meat. Uh, They participate in a Bison Tribe wedding. They do a bit of hero questing with the Earth Priestesses of the Paps. They even attend uh, some Humacti duels at Turney Altar. Uh, Now in the very last chapter, uh, before where we're going to pick it up today, uh, Bitterin was at the market in Moonbroth, so again in Prax, and some Lunars, members of the uh, Seven Mothers cult, uh, were weirdly interested in Morak, the, so the younger brother of the, the two slaves he bought uh, at the beginning of the story. Uh, apparently, horned children like him are of some special interest to the Red Emperor, or whatever that means, to the point that those Lunars were getting quite aggressive to try and buy uh, Morak from uh, Biturian. And using glamours and all kinds of uh, magic to get him to sell Morak against his wishes. So last we left off, Biturian, Norayip, and Morak were basically running away from Moonbroth, afraid uh, that Lunars might be after them to try and grab the kid. Uh, And so that's where we were at. Uh, For those... Uh, following at home in uh, Cults of Prax, we are picking it up at the Pavis chapter, which I think is page 47? 47, yes. So as we start, and so you can interrupt me at any time to, you know, drop some comments and, and whatnot. Uh, as we start, um, Biturian has set his path watch to set off at a haste from uh, Moonbroth because um, he was terrified of, uh, I assume, terrified of the Lunars coming after him. Um, I like how, through all the sidebars, Viturian is actually using the names of the spell in world, like as if Glorenthans are using terms like, you know, Blade Sharp and Pathwatch and stuff like that, like, like, it's, like it's a thing. Um, so it, it, it makes your players not feel too bad to uh, just use the terms from the rule book, I guess. 
Which makes perfect sense because it's part of the world. It's part of the magic is intrinsic within Garanthus. So you would just be saying. Yeah, but the fact that it's called Blade Sharp, for example, Blade Sharp, as far as I understand, is a God learner term where they went and they saw that the many variants of the spirit magic that enhances your blade can be all boiled down to kind of the same thing. And they called it Blade Sharp. But at least yes. at the time of the God Learner, people might have had like hundreds of different names for that spell that does kind of yeah. the same thing. So whether everybody looked at the God Learners who were calling it Blade Sharp and said like, oh yeah, let's call it Blade Sharp because we, we used to call it like, you know, Bob's super blade improvement spell. And that's just like too long. So let's call it Blade Sharp from now. Um, it makes sense. I mean, it could have happened. It, the people might have like, adopted good learner terminology, but um, still it's kind of, oh, I find it interesting. So you always blame the stories on this one because he needs to get <laughs> up, get his message out. So you've got, you've got your silvers, your gilders, your lunars, your, your, your finkle yeah. flops, whatever. And he just comes along and says, no, 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 no. We'll just all agree to call it one thing. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore I can market it to you better. <laughs> and if we're all talking the same language, then you can have Big Bob's Mighty Blade and you can have whatever. Yeah. But yeah. let's all just call it Blade Sharp. Yeah. And we can all use this nice language, which trade talk, um, and we can all get on well together and, and do yeah. what we need to do to get by. Yeah. yeah, I like the idea that it's the trade talk term, actually. Yeah, and uh, who promoted SREs and Lankamaya? The God Learners. Oh, yeah, we did that shit. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so everything yes. boils down to, to SREs causing um, so much problems um, by trying to pull everything together. Yeah. I mean, to me, Samaris <laughs> is one of the most underrated God. He's got so many cool stuff going for him. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Biturian is um, uh, fleeing Moonbroth. He says that the incident terrified me. Uh, I assume that it was the fact that the Lunars almost got him to sell Morak against his will, I think. Well, uh, and if it uh, starts with Morak, where will it end? So is it is it that or is it the fact that um, he's being bested by a, a, an Atari's trainer or almost bested yeah yeah maybe yeah um if we backtrack on the days i have an obsession about days and travel times so please <laughs> forgive me um <laughs> we're, we're looking at um around the time of the um dark moon so okay. where the um uh, the Amalian traders, sorry, where the Atari's traders would be not as powerful. And if they're pulling out the um, the goods to try and persuade him, what happens when the, the moon's in a much better phase and they can start to, to really put the pressure on it? Yeah, there is the problem of being able to sell Warwick, um, but what else might they pull from him? So is it, uh, is it that which is terrifying or is it... Uh, the subtlety of the lunar traders' arts. Yeah, and where does he run? To the biggest concentration of lunar troops in Prax. Well, this is um, <laughs> this is one of the baffling things, to be honest. Um, uh, Tadas Haitimulus, you mean? No, 
the city of Pervis. Yes, yeah, I guess, yes. <laughs> but yeah, the Lunas are where the markets are, so uh, what does he expect? <laughs> he probably should have thought about this before going to Prax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they um, they push their mules and their uh, stamina hard, uh, reach the um, uh, foothills of Tadas High Tumulus, and wait for an ambush. There's nobody uh, coming. So yes, they get to Pavis or Pavis or Pavi or whatever you want to call it. How do you call it, Drew? Um, I use the, the local vernacular of Pavis, um, which is what the new Pavisites um, say. Um, there is, of course, um, a, a Pavi is um, the preferred term, as we all know, and others use various things. <laughs> I know that it's spelt Pavis, but it's pronounced Onga Onga. <laughs> yes, that's probably the Moroccanth name for the city. Uh, yes, it is. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of using different pronunciation to, like, say, the Lunars pronounce it one way and the Praxians pronounce it another way and the Sartarites pronounce it another way. So, um, you know, maybe yeah. Pavi is the Lunar uh, version because it sounds fancier. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, the Lunars use Pavis as a derogative. Oh, yeah? It's a Pavis shop. So I imagine <laughs> they add a spitting sound after the Pavis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So then, yeah, Bitterin talks a bit about, well, he mentions briefly a bit the the past of Pavis, like um, how it had like some big stone statue that came here and all that. Like, I don't exactly uh, remember my Pavis history, but I remember there's like some, some, uh, some giant stone robots uh, involved in there. A big mecha battle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to, to put it. <laughs> it's also interesting, right before um, he sets off to, to Pavis, while he's still um, hunkering down at Tardis Tumors, yeah. is that that's winter solstice. He, he spends winter solstice at Tardis High Tumors. I mean, yeah, how... with days. It's awesome. How, how hard yeah. is, is he um, with... Now, we, we need to think he's got his uh, mule train. Who does he have with him? He has two slaves and him, and as far as we can tell, I don't think there's anybody else. I don't think so, yeah, because he, he hired various bodyguards, like with the baboons and the storm bull cultists. Yeah, he didn't have time this time. Yeah, this time he didn't have time, and I don't think there was any mention of actually anybody on the retainer, so I would assume it's just them three, yeah. So you have three people, a whole load of wagon trains, out camped for uh, at least two days, and over winter solstice, over the, the winter solstice. He's going to be pretty desperate to try and keep out of the way, and also he's got a, you know, have some serious considerations about um, his personal security. So maybe that is the reason why instead of turning back, um, he decided to push on to, to Pavis. Why Why does it matter that it's the winter solstice? Uh, well, winter solstice is the, the um, darkest day of the year. He's um, right up north and north of Prax, um, the, the, the troll layers. There's a whole bunch of... Um, Spirits which we know um, inhabit around the, the area of Tarda. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not particularly a, a happy place. Trade is um, not going to be uh, 
well, the trade route is not going to be particularly well used, I wouldn't have thought at a time of darkness. My understanding was that the winter is actually when the trade routes are most used because that's when traveling through Prague is less difficult because um, it doesn't have the heat, it's got some rain, so it's not as dry. And- no, it doesn't. It's the more dry time. I was baffled by that as well, but summer fertile ground really? is uh, an area which is uh, fertile around, and winter fertile... No, uh, winter fertile ground is uh, stuff which is fertile year-round, and summer fertile ground is only fertile when the rains have been there. So in the introduction to the Travels of Bitterin Verse on page 10, they do mention Bitterin made his way through the Chaparral during the winter, the preferred travel season in Prague because of the relative coolness and increased rainfall. Yeah, um, Nomad Gods uh, has it uh, the other way around. Oh, man. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I checked that source recently because I was wondering about that. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, your Gloria may vary. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, yes, for the satellite, the winter may be more pleasant than uh, Brexit in summer. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, it's, uh, or, uh, is uh, Vitorian even a satellite or is he an Asrolian? We don't know. I didn't find any reference, but I might have uh, missed it. Uh, but I don't think it's mentioned. So Vitorian talks about like the big walls that are over the, uh, the old city that were built by uh, giants and stuff like that. And that vary from eight meters uh, in their low spots and as high as 27 meters where the ground dips, which is quite big. Yeah, I mean, those giants were big. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, it's in the name. Uh, those, uh, uh, they were uh, led by an elder giant who op- uh, objected to their, uh, the cradles being snatched there. True. Yeah, don't, don't steal babies. It's bad. <laughs> it's even worse when you steal giant babies. But then again, I mean, if the giants didn't just, you know... Put their babies on cradles and let them go down the river up to the sea. I mean, you know, they well, uh, they had a treaty with the river. Speaking of river, um, <laughs> uh, Bitterin also briefly talks about the the river that passes through Pavis, uh, the Zolafel, and um, how like there used to be like big walls uh, across it, but now like boats can pass freely. Bridges, you mean? Uh, bridges, yeah. <laughs> uh, and but apparently, um, you would have like um, raiders standing on the walls and dropping on the passing boats. And I'm wondering, like, are those raiders like dropping ten meters onto a passing boat? <laughs> are they gonna just like shoot right through the bottom of the boat and and just sink the whole thing and die drowning? What is the falling damage for 25 meters? <laughs> uh, that is a good question. A, a couple so yeah. of D6s? We know from uh, from the big rubble that the walls follow the contour of the land and are at 25 meters high. So it's not a case of the, the, the river going up and down because it'll dip down into the Zolafell Valley itself. Mm-hmm. So 25 meters is a long way to fall um, or even jump so yeah maybe this yeah. is just the uh, the stories that are told yeah or maybe this is the source of Gorantan Jabanji jumping 
<laughs> it's always a possibility. Yeah, um, it is now canon. <laughs> so, Bitterian speaks to some sage of Lankermai who wants to presage some sacred stones and other things. Um, he wants the piece of true stone that uh, Bitterian has, and he like the deal doesn't really go through and. Bitterian uh, leaves that sage of Lankermai pretty angry about it. Yeah, uh, what is he asking that sage about? Um, it's uh, about uh, traces of Morak's uh, origin, really, as we learn later. Mm-hmm. So apparently uh, he's uh, trying to find out what is going on with this slave boy. Which is interesting when we think about what uh, what his motivation is. Is he looking to get a good price on him? Is he looking to work out how he can defend him, uh, defend Morak from the um, from the lunar cults? Or is he developing some kind of relationship with his slave? I think it's 50 lunars to put in a research request at the Lankormoy Temple in New Paris. <laughs> and yeah, 50 lunars if you're a trader... That's 50 lunars. Yeah. Mm, well, uh, Mituran can be quite generous, as uh, it's shown in this very chapter. Um, so Bitterian uh, runs it to some, um, uh, well, learns that there is an approaching holiday at the nearby Sendom Temple, um, which is going to be relevant for the, the next uh, chapter. And also that Corflu, which is uh, all the way down the river uh, near the um, the ocean, hasn't seen much business yet, which he interprets as a good opportunity to go there, which will be in two chapters, but uh, <laughs> will not actually be... Maybe he interpreted that wrong. <laughs> it's wild, wild rumors and speculation. Um, yeah. given, given that Corflu has only been set up to, was it two years previously in yeah. 1612? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a new port, it's a new venture. So where where there's opportunity, there's also failure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that fares out later. Yeah. So um, now he comes across the procession as their uh, festival and he gets ambushed by some lunars. No, he doesn't. He does not. I don't... Uh, What happens is that there's a procession which which gets ambushed, and because he still has his path watch on, he's alerted to that. I interpreted it as lunars who were actually still looking for him and Morak, who were trying to ambush him, and then the priest of the procession goes like no no, no uh, stop stop this thing so but the ambushes are the Arlanthi on the rooftops who fire arrows and stuff on the lunar guards uh, accompanying the procession oh that's not how i read it but uh, i'm uh, i'm okay, willing to well. uh, i'm willing to go with that drew who is ambushing who <laughs> uh, well it is it is kind of confusing um we we, we have um it, it sounds like a lunar ambush because there's the, the processional guards are in, 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 engaged the other attackers. Yeah. But then suddenly out of nowhere, you, you do have these um, these arrows being fired in. So whether these are the, the masks that um, are used by Gim Gim et al. to disrupt 
Pavis and uh, keep the, the the population under control, whether they're um, s- sponsored um, street gangs that we we know are all about <laughs> trying to cause this this minor neighbourhood festival a problem, or perhaps even just to try and lure out some of the um, the Orlanthi who um, are disgruntled with the um, lunars occupying their town. We don't know. And it is quite confusing. But certainly there's uh, the Orlanthi snipers already in position. So mm. are they watching to protect the, the procession or are they laying in ambush on previous intelligence? So we could have a situation where an ambushing party is ambushed by other ambushes. <laughs> But it's, it's clear that um, our hero isn't isn't ambushed. He's um, very clearly walking behind uh, at a distance, as he says. Um, it's an interesting thought whether he's still got his path watch up there. Um, doesn't that play out when you go to sleep? Because he cast Pathwatch like days ago back at Moonbroth, like on the way from Moonbroth. So I wouldn't imagine his Pathwatch would still be active. But I guess, I mean, who knows what kind of extension and conditions he added. I'm just looking it up. (laughs) (laughs) I think it it runs out when you go to, if you fall asleep and or when the journey ends. Let's But see. then there's, there might be a difference between in the RuneQuest 2. Duration variable. Range 160 meter to each side of the path. Reusable. Yeah, the spell lasts until the caster falls asleep or the path ends. And the path apparently has not ended yet. Yeah, but it's probably not the same day, right? It's certainly not the same day because they they do wait for two days for the uh, for not being ambushed at Tardis Vitunus. But then again, he does have coffee with him, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because he says, I detected the ambush early and fell back. Even from a distance, I recognized lunar scimitars flashing in the sun. So to me, it's like a successful scan roll or something. And and by the way, I love that the lunars have scimitars. Much mourned in in, uh, Rainquest Clarence, the the new edition. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, scimitar or uh, kopesh or whatever it's a curved blade <laughs> yeah we know what they mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> but anyway the cool thing that happens immediately after is that the the city priest is apparently not happy about those lunars fighting those uh orlanti snipers from rooftops and all that and so he just makes everybody calm down He does indeed cast his city harmony spell, but boy, what a whopper! <laughs> I mean, this is this is some serious magic. So, the spell normally only does a three meter radius from the caster, mm-hmm. and it'll last 15 minutes. Um, it's a power versus power, so that's going to overcome Varoshi's power, which must be 18, as he's a priest. Yeah, um, and he's also away from the from the ambush which the priest is in so there's going to be an area effect so he's stacking that spell somehow and it pulls down one of the archers from the roof now you can do the, the 
trigonometry to work out how high our roof is, and it's, it's more than three meters. Um, yeah. So it's pretty powerful stuff. So how how many rune points do you think you blew in there? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to um, to guess. <laughs> not being a, an acolyte of a, of a mere city god. Um, yeah. I guess, I guess he might he might have like some uh, special city pavis magic item maybe that boosts city harmony or other yeah that staff is carrying around he has he's indeed carrying around a holy staff and idol yeah. so maybe this is something which uh, which is acting as a multiplier or a booster um, and extending it which means my players are want, are going to want to get their hands on it <laughs> yeah it might be a wider yeah that's a very interesting thought it it is a local um ceremony um it's a neighborhood ceremony so yeah sure it could be a wider um or suddenly the, the what it might be contributing to um, the 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 priestability to cast that spell. That's a very interesting point. And yeah, I like that idea. I think that's a, a neat thing. But, but which which neighbourhood, though, um, would that affect the, uh, how things played out? Because we're told that it's a nasty shanty town. Yeah. So there's only one nasty shanty town. Fish town. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of across the river. No, it's uh, uh, the fish town is still on the, uh, inside the new walls. Is it nasty? Yeah, it yes. is. It, it, <laughs> yes. it, it, ha- it has the worst uh, uh, taverns in town. Hmm. Is it a shanty town? In parts, yes. Of course, the former nomad city, uh, nomad uh, area might be a bit uh, bedraggled too. But yeah, it, it's definitely the poor part of the city, <laughs> apart from a few houses. So. So when when I read it, my first thought was that it was that they were going to take this procession out to Badside, but there isn't any other evidence to say they crossed a bridge or uh, no. And the Lankamai Temple, the Lankamai Temple, isn't that far from Fish Fishtown. I've I've been I've been there just recently in my game. <laughs> <laughs> just just over the road. Yeah. So the geography fits. By the way, one of the uh, one of the archers that were on the rooftop who got calmed down by the City Harmony spell is named as Jarang Bladesong, which, uh, and this guy shows up in quite, uh, quite a few other Glorenta books. So he's, yeah. uh, I think he's a, he's a good little, uh, NPC to, uh, to use as a, as a cameo if, if you want. Yeah. He's a lieutenant of Agras. So, or uh, right now, I think it's uh, what is it? Argos Dragon Spear, or is it Gareth uh, Blade Sharp? I don't know. Oh, but, like you think? But uh, well, he's. Uh, I think he's one of the people who's going to ride the cradle. Yes, he will end up riding the the cradle very shortly. But his sponsor in RuneQuest C or RuneQuest Two into all Anthes Argos Dragon Spear, and has already served him for six years so we can start to put in some some time frames after that everybody is uh chilling Viturion ends up at the the front of the parade he sees a whole bunch of uh, people joining the parade i guess the city harmony is also uh, i wonder if the priests actually always wanted to 
cast <laughs> that City Harmony spell to make the parade bigger. Um, but yeah, eventually they finish the parade. And as far as I understand, they end up in a tavern where Viturion is helping get uh, more drinks for everybody out of, um, out of the same amount of money that they uh, gather up from everybody around the tavern. Yeah. Well, almost half the money comes from his purse. He's giving a wheel. Yes. What just occurred to me, uh, this is again a form of hero quest interference, uh, much like at the path, where you have one uh, party doing a ritual and somebody else being pulled into that ritual as performing the outside attack. You, th you think that ambush was actually... Oh, yeah, the, that ambush uh, becomes part of the right, becomes part of the myth. It doesn't have to, uh, doesn't have to do anything with the intentions of the priest, but uh, it's just a confluence of in events uh, that uh, brings in an, uh, a more magical action. It's like leakage from the hero yes. realms uh, yes. manifesting in the yeah. in the physical world. <clears throat> it's interesting because he he says that he can quoting he says a will on such an auspicious day was good for all the gods, and that is what I played. Um, there aren't any specific days noted. Um, it's Clay Day, Truth Week, Dark Season. There's a, a minor holy day for Aretha. Um, so what is this day? Um, why does he think that it is such an auspicious day? Um, so clearly there's something which is aware of or has been made aware of um, possibly through participating willingly or not in this ceremony Pavis it's listed as uh, what is it like 2-8-4-16-14 so second day of eighth season uh, of eighth week yeah, in the fourth that's... season which is the um, yeah. storm season uh, no it's dark season water day dark season week Right. Yeah, there's nothing there. Anyway, so do we have any uh, other comments on this segment before we have Bitterian set out to the Sundom County? I think the um, the point which um, Joe made, he has over wheel, and that's almost as much as the priest brings in, then goes and blows it all, on ale and using the inflated prices in, in, in Paris, that's um, just over 220 liters of ale. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure what the population of, um, let's say, uh, Riverside is, but it's, uh, well, he, he goes, he buys it from, a, from not from a tavern, he buys it from a, a, a retailer, okay. a, a bulk supplier. Yeah. Right. So it must have been a very jolly uh, festival, given that uh, there's that amount of booze floating around, or, or perhaps some of it goes to the, uh, to the temple. Whatever occurs, he gets back to his lodgings um, after nightfall, which poses some interesting problems, seeming that he must have avoided the curfew that was um, on at the, at the time. Or, or perhaps the... The alcohol flowing um, somehow protected him, or uh, the, the ritual, uh, this this local festival, is somehow just uh, 
glossed over by the um, lunar troops. Well, I'm pretty sure uh, the half of them gloss over festivals and the other half are participating in the festival and are drunk anyway because they hate their assignments here. So An auspicious day indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, Yelmal Yo, um, Viturian yeah. goes to Sundom County where you've got all your uh, Yelmalions, and things don't really go very well. He approaches the community there as a peaceful trader without hostile intent, he says. Um, but they chose to abuse his offers, he says. Yeah, because he was the only light bringer nearby, he gets basically captured, imprisoned, and forced to play the role of a light bringer god in their ceremonies, um, like basically in a in a hero quest yeah. or a worship ritual. There, yeah. Um, I wonder how much warning the resident light bringer has had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. About five years, given that that's the time from the, uh, the the priests being appointed until they have to give up their wives. Yeah, right. Um, um, I mean, uh, even even Sun County does have a couple of Chalana Arroy heroes. Uh, they're exempt from the uh, from the um, three blows. Yeah, yeah, mm. but uh, yeah, but, but I mean, Isaris almost bears the same uh, exemption, almost. So they are really stretching it. Can uh, can one of you explain what ritual the the people of uh, like the, the Yalmalians of Sendom Kenti are are doing here? What what is this three blows uh, ritual they're doing? It's <laughs> Yamalia is a petty cult. <laughs> uh, they, they, okay. they, they, this is this is this is my opinion as a paid up <laughs> Orlanthi adventurer. Okay, uh-huh. so um, the Rule, uh, the, the, the rules are that uh, you have to give up your your uh, your spouse after five years um, when you join the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And rather than saying, "Well, I won't get married" or "I won't join the priesthood," and if you're angry about it, you can get some poor light bringer into the circle and um, beat the hell out of them. Um, to vent your impotent fury. <laughs> and so, what, what is what is the the myth or story that this is taken yeah. from? Yeah, that's almost a surprise. Um, the story is that Yamalio had a wife. It's a surprise, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was stolen by the storm gods. Which is not that much of a uh, of a surprise. They they, and, they tend to do that. And this might refer to the exodus of Arnaldo and her handmaidens uh, from the Celestial Palace. Okay, yeah. And somehow, uh, Yamalio uh, got back at them, attacking them. But he didn't get his wife back. Once you've uh, met the storm, uh, you uh, you don't let, tend to look back. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. He says yeah, well, smugly. <laughs> Well, uh, we get different stories from here on. One story is he meets the daughter of the Storm King, mm-hmm. Dida, and marries her and becomes the loyal, steadfast saint. 
but that's uh, going into heresy territory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we won't uh, use the name Yamalia without the Y in front. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, his role afterwards is mostly that of the restless wanderer and fighter defending everywhere he goes. And yeah, I'm not quite sure whether this uh, myth is from before or after uh, the Hill of Gold. But uh, but yeah, what I love about this is the idea that in order to make your um, worship ritual or your hero quest successful, you go and kidnap people and you tell them, okay, you know, here, dress up as this and now uh, try to um, try to not be killed uh, because we're going to smack you up very hard. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's institutionalized because who is the person who uh, instigates this? Rurik Rinspear. I mean, this isn't just some, you know, random Yamalian. This is somebody who's, who's front and centre, every player knows, yeah. and will go on to become you know, one of Argrath's um, henchmen. I mean, uh, saints. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Rurik and, was, the, was the Vasana of RuneQuest 2nd edition. Yeah. It's interesting to, to note that Rurik dies in inverted quotes, in 1612. Okay, yeah. When he's killed by Tolkien. And this journal is in 1614. Mm. It's also said that tales of um, Rurik's survival were spread by one Assyrian trader known as Bitrun Farosh. It's contained in Worms footnotes 13. Oh, okay. So... Uh, is this that point in time where those two pieces intersect? Yeah. Or has Farosh met Rinspear before and he's just gone, you, I know you, you've been spreading uh, naughty lies about me and uh, it's just persecuting him. Now, for me, that fits perfectly with my view of Umalio, but um, I know other people out there who like the sun and truth, so... Um, that's up to them. But uh, it's it's certainly mightily sneaky what they're uh, pulling off here. Well, it does make make me wonder whether <clears throat> there's um, been a deliberate ploy to entice this poor Assyrian priest to this particular place, because he's been told that there's a a market at, at Sundome. Well, he's missed the the date for the um, for the, the market. And he's been told that there's a much better deal further down the river, mm-hmm. um, which may or may not be the case. So <laughs> is he being lured in as as a priest of a light-bringing cult and one who the, the uh, Sundown Temple could possibly, let, let's play, um, say, play on his um, religious obligations to trade to lure him to a place, whereas to somebody else... They would just go, we're not going there because we know that it's a trap. Well, maybe yeah. when Bitterian was going that way, you know, there was the, the old man in the little hut that says, like, don't go near the Sun Dome around this time of year. It's, it's bad. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the other explanation might be that it's Morex influence. Maybe. But I mean, like I'm, it strikes it strikes me like the Sun Dome people are not very well prepared. Like it looks like they're grabbing. Biturian, basically the same no. day, like as yeah. uh, 
damn, we we're missing one guy for the ceremony, and they can't yeah. even grab uh, uh, an Orlanthi; they grab an Isaris guy. And I mean, that seems rushed and and half-assed. Uh, well, uh, usually you, you pick somebody, put on, put on a mask, and that's the deity. And what they did is a last-minute slight improvement on the uh, mythic uh, uh, proportion. Well, barely. It's still Isaris. Yeah, well, it's it's a light bringer, so uh, stronger. I, I mean, Rurik does a very good uh, mythical identification there. Look yeah. at uh, look at what uh, what uh, what he says. What Rurik does is he points to uh, Norayid's slave bracelets and collar and asks, "Are you not the keeper of the earth? And are you not the friend and guardian of Orland or foe?" So yes, Petorian is pushed into the role of a supporter of the storm. Yeah, that's that's stretching it, in my opinion. <laughs> that's perfectly the role he has and the role he takes. If you uh, look at how the fight works out. Yeah, true, but I mean, I still think the Yelmalian uh, didn't really prepare very well for their ceremony. Yeah, they really should have taken a crippled uh, Orlanthi before. <laughs> it would have made more sense. <laughs> um, so Biturian uh, strikes a deal with one of his uh, mates uh, while they're waiting in their cells. And he makes a deal with a, a high lava warrior named Gorali to kind of gang up on the Yelmalians and kill a couple of them and uh, get to survive this bad predicament. Uh, this Gorali actually is very unlucky because he shows up in uh, Pavis Gateway to Adventure, the Hero Quest book. And once again, he's in a he's in a cell waiting to be used by the Yelmalians um, uh, for the exact same like he's exactly same uh, uh, in the same situation for the adventure one of the adventures in the Pavis book. But four years afterwards, oh, I mean, really? this is yeah, it's four, <laughs> it's four, four years after the second time. <laughs> I got caught um, twice. The poor guy. So well, it's his fate. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe he <laughs> just likes to, to go the Yamalians. Um, I mean, it, is it a case that he is the only light bringer around? And so every time they just need to wail on a light bringer, they just go, uh, go and get Gorali. He'll be out with the, the high lava. Well, the city of Feathers may have a few more. But, well, uh, maybe he still is wearing the mark. What's mark? Not sure uh, how Yamalian uh, imprisonment goes, but they may just brand their inmates. Uh, I think he, he uh, was caught for uh, raiding the Sandom somewhere. Mm. Um, but anyway, they yeah they uh, gang up on uh, on the Yamalians. Bitterin uses a whole bunch of magic, uh, most of his magic, he says, and much of his spirit's magic. But finally, they um, they killed, uh, I suppose they only need to kill the couple of Yelmalians that were assigned to them, I suppose. And, um, and as a result, for that opposition, they end up winning. And actually, the this Gorali High Lama warrior um, ends up being given fallen Yalmalian armor and weapon and all that, which some of it he gives to Biturian and some of it he keeps well, to himself. More, more importantly, he's given the wife. Oh, right, yes. <laughs> yeah, great stuff, <laughs> Yalmalio. <laughs> yeah. 
he's he's a fair god. You know, he's he's equal. You know, he he you know he's he's just a really you know nice kind of guy. <clears throat> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, I mean the Yamali card is a, is an Orlanthi card. It's not a storm card, but it's an Orlanthi card. And so, and so is Malia. But let's not. <laughs> Okay. Supposedly, we're, we're, we've been told that the cult of Yalmalio in Sartor is much different from the cult of Yalmalio in Prax. So it might be that, you know, the Prax Yalmalians are wife-beating assholes, but the ones in Sartor are better, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, well, I'd, uh, they can't be wife-beaters. Well, <laughs> not very feminist, let's say. Not very feminist, uh, I guess, uh, gets it, at least outside of the household. Yeah. They have very um, inflexible views. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, um, but yeah, I, I think supposedly the one, the cult in Sartar is different. So, yeah. Uh, but they influenced the Praxian card recently. So we don't know exactly uh, whose influences we are dealing with here. These could ex- actually be people who had uh, granddad in the Lokan tribe or so. It is worrying, however, that Rurik is still going to end up as Argrath's right-hand man. But then, you know, Argrath is maybe going to have a good influence on him. And, you know. Yeah, well, Argrath is left-handed. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> with, with, the, with the fight that kicks off, I think it's interesting, it only appears to be one guy, uh, one Yumalian, who has the real problem. So it, Here's the, the, the one which uh, Garali kills uh-huh. um, because it's, it, it, it says there are, I think there's five. Yeah. Well, uh, no, three couples. Three, three couples. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them holds back. He said, it says that he performs yeah. his ritual obligations and, and that's it. So yeah. there's only one guy who, who's really going for it because he's um, frustrated yeah. at, at losing his wife. And it appears that when he's being killed, the the, uh, the ceremony is over. At which point he has killed two of the uh, other people that are in there. He's possibly killed Vorash. No, uh, Rurik wasn't participating in the ceremony. After all, uh, Rurik is not a priest, he's a lord. No, uh, Vorash is... Victorian is uh, almost killed, yeah. Yeah, well, I think he is killed. Possibly. Yeah, well, uh, there's a uh, successful divine intervention on him on his behalf, so... Which would kill... Which, which suggests yeah. that he has been killed and then brought back yeah. and... Yeah, well, he, he suffered a fatal blow, yes. Uh, enough to um, have Eye Whisperer sacrifice himself. Yeah, so it looks like he had his allied spirit sacrifice himself to save him. And he says that is thanks to, um, thanks to Isaris. Well, thanks be to Isaris. So yeah, I don't know if it's a divine interruption or if it's just like the allied spirit just took a blow for him or something. Yes. I read it. Uh, uh, I whisper cast, uh, Divine Intervention, which is a one rune point spell, which can be stacked in Rune Quest 2 mm-hmm. for priests. And um, 
those points are gone permanently and uh, he puts in some power as well so oh you think he went to power zero uh, not power zero but a very low power and for a spirit uh, that's not a good state to be in hmm. yeah I've had one player successfully uh, DI out of a mortal situation and he ended up with a power so low that uh, the character basically was out of play. (laughs) I've been in that situation myself and it sucks. Um, But then I I recently started a game with a character at power five. Ooh, did you roll 3d6? Yes. Oh man, don't roll 3d6. Yeah, well, it was a fairly rolled-up character, and uh, yeah, he was fun to play, and he rose out of that very quickly now, but yeah, (laughs) uh, low power sucks great. Okay, anything more on uh, Viturian's misadventure in the Sun County? Well, well, let's hightail out of it, just like Viturian did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get us out out of the out of the frying pan of Moonbroth. Then it, then there's all the problems in Paris. So I'm just going to go and have some nice trade down in Sundome Temple. Bang! <laughs> oh no, I'm being involved involuntarily in this ritual again. Yeah. So yeah, where am I going to go to? Uh, yeah. Well, apparently he goes all the way down the river to Corflu, as I understand it. Yes. Uh, which is, yeah, like a, a recently built lunar port where he gets a shitty spot in the market, almost literally, because he gets the spot next to the latrines. Yeah. Well, the market is run by Eteris merchants rather than the mainstream Eteris cult. Yeah. Actually, I'm quite surprised that it's merchants in the plural, given the size of the place. But there seem to be three or four uh, Eteris merchants uh, located there, and they seem to be of the Garzine subcard. I mean, people who uh, just uh, move somewhere and trade there with uh, whoever comes in. Uh, Yeah. Because it says uh, uh, Biturian is the only golden tongue there. He's the... Only light bringer there as well. Yeah, I read it as he's the only series, most probably. So just to recap on this section of his journey, he's fled Moonbroth because of Atari's cultists trying to get right. <laughs> Actually, seven mothers cultists. Or seven mothers. Seven, seven mothers? Seven mothers. Seven mothers. <laughs> he's then gone to the lunar stronghold of Pavis. He's got involved in some skullduggery there and has decided to leave to go to somewhere which doesn't have lunar influence, the Sun Dome, where he's got banged up into a ritual which he's managed to get out of and he has ended up at the end of the Zolafell, the arse end of Prax in a lunar trading point with the thing which everybody's trying to get more act with him. Yeah, well... It seems like he got some bum information somewhere along the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, to be fair, uh, the uh, part of Corfu was created by a river uh, folk person. 
mm-hmm. uh, with a wife who covers up all his mistakes. That's <laughs> the name uh, of a port. Yes. Uh, for those uh, from uh, places with other uh, trade names, core flu is correction flu. Mm-hmm. Which is a fact that I didn't know until um, <laughs> Rune, uh, RuneQuest grants a um, 2020 convention in um, in Melbourne. Uh-huh. I had always assumed that it was a corruption of Corfu in the same way that <laughs> Pavis is a corruption or could be a corruption of Paris. I, I just thought yeah, it's, it was one of those kind of, we'll just move the letters around and I was... Um, <laughs> Going, oh, yeah. right, well, there we go. Well, Correction. Well, but then which Paris? Uh, the hero from Troy or uh, the city in France? I, I yeah. would have gone with France. Because yes. Obviously, it should be pronounced Paris. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're back in the, blo- uh, in the place that was blotted out on a map or to be blotted out on a map, which is why it had the note core flu. Uh, next to it uh, and yeah it's one of the great uh, Grantham namings much like Notchett yeah so what happens to Biturian in Core Flu um, he gets into uh, arguments with lunar priests and uh, he's generally not happy about not being able to sell anything basically yeah, for uh, for a market, uh, it's quite bad. I'm wondering why he's staying the full market season, but maybe he was forced to participate in the market ritual. I mean, uh, the market spell uh, lasts for eight uh, weeks. He doesn't need to cast it or to specially um, stay the whole duration, no? It almost looks like it. I mean, why should he stay? It, it makes no sense for him to stay there. Uh, there must be something that's compelling him to remain. So I think uh, he may, may have been forced to contribute to the market spell there. And that's what's keeping him in place. And, okay, after after his mules die off a weird disease, he doesn't have that much chance to leave. But in the end, he does. So he does have to buy... A place in the market, yeah. Um, like it says that um, they are um, selling the spots. So maybe Corflu, in an attempt to retain merchants and try to kind of kickstart the city as a as a trading post, maybe they price it so that um, you get the spot for a whole season, and it's priced priced high enough that most merchants wouldn't want to cut their losses and leave early. Yeah. The other reason might be that there's a right where they will get back their room points at the end of the time. <laughs> and Biturian needs to uh, replenish. He did say that he spent uh, all, his, um, all his magic at the Sundom County. Yeah? So I guess it's a good point. Maybe he needs to just lay low for uh, a few seasons uh, in some quiet place. Well, there's no temple or shrine there to be worshipping. There's a market, and the market is a temple. He could be using the, the market yeah. um, at his point, but he would be the only Assyrian there. Uh, and we do know that he he has got at least um, one point in the back pocket, as it were, because he uses um, 
the spell training spell, mm-hmm. which she uses to uh, with a a rhythm high priestess to trade Pathwatch for turn undead and half a bison. So he didn't blow all his magic, or in the time he's been there, he has managed to recover rune points yeah. from somewhere. Yeah. Well, I think isn't um, the Eteris and Isaris cults basically associated with one each other because yes. I mean, that's the whole thing. So you can, I think you can uh, worship and recover as associated yeah. cult. The, yeah, they use the same holy days and the same temple and he can use the Eteris com, uh, community as uh, support for his rights. Yeah, it's all, it's all trading. It's all business, man. It is indeed. Cool. So, yeah, basically there's um, some incident at some point where a wolf pirate ship shows up yeah. and he gets a bit <laughs> um, a bit nervous, but apparently Corflu is so, miserable. <laughs> uh, so lame that the wolf pirates don't even bother and, and they just, yeah, nothing, nothing happens basically. Yeah. I think it, it shows how poor the Atarians are at trading because... No one's talking to her. I mean, it, it, the only person is, is Barash who, who, who speaks to her. Yeah. So they're not even trying to say, would you like to buy something, madam? Um, <laughs> they're, they're, just, they're just so scared that this um, woman has swum ashore from a wolf pirate vessel. They've just gone, no, hide. Mm. And if that's their attitude, then really how can you expect um, uh, yeah. the port to survive? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, we don't know who that woman was. It might have been um, Gunda, who is scary. <laughs> yeah, good point. Gunda, the guilty. She's, um, uh, if I'm getting this correctly, she's one the, one of the lieutenants of uh, Harek, the berserker. Yeah, uh, but on the other hand, Harek has, isn't here yet. These are still the old style wolf pirates who were uh, yeah who were here. Harek only uh, leaves Sock City with a. A huge compliment of uh, its islanders uh, in two years. Oh, okay. So yeah, she's just um, one scary wolf pirate uh, captain. <laughs> yeah, or maybe maybe not even captain. Maybe just maybe the best swimmer. <laughs> well, you'd think they would have like little dinghy boats, so you don't have to swim all the way to the shore. But she express she expressly swims to the shore. Yeah, that's what it says in the text, but I was a bit surprised at that, actually. I'm like, why, why is she swimming? For, for a bet. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that. I like that. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, we, we know that the, uh, the wolf pirates do like a, a gamble. And a dare, um, so yeah. it's a, and, and a dare, and so it's a case of, <laughs> I bet you that you can't swim over to that point. To come, go and tell us what's there and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah next uh Beturian's mules get sick and die and the lunar horses also get sick and die uh, like most of the most of the animals basically uh yeah. have some uh, some problem i like that uh, Beturian says a gang of baboons got rich dragging the bodies away and burying them and i i, I <laughs> I like this idea of this uh, gang of uh, baboon. Uh, how do you yeah. call that? Well, undertakers, not quite. Undertakers, uh, horsebreakers. Yeah. What's it? Uh, Knackers. Knackers, right? Knackers. Oh, uh, I don't know that word. 
And yeah, I'm wondering whether these are the baboons which are also encountered by people uh, washing up on the shores. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about the uh, RQ3 uh, uh, scenario? Of, yeah, the River yeah. of Cradles uh, Storm vo uh, River Voices scenario, yes. Yeah, I only know about it because I read uh, the beginning of the Black Spear. Yes. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> thankfully, Nick Brook explains it. Yeah, but uh, I wonder whether uh, Ken Wilson used these uh, baboons for his encounter. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, uh, because, okay. uh, again, they are dealing with what they think are dead bodies. Yeah, <laughs> true. So they may have really have made a trade out of that. Yeah, no, good point. Good point. But yeah, the high point of this encounter really is done in a very short paragraph, which brings up the reconstitution of Gennard's body from pieces of his skin. Say what again? <laughs> yeah. Um, Gazin Middleman is an Isari uh, subcult. And yeah. uh, he once wooed the daughter of King Froola of Sveshnela. Mm-hmm. And she set him an impossible task, which he didn't complete, but, but still tries. And that task was to reassemble Gennad, the dead god of the land, from the pieces oh. he left behind. Yeah. And these pieces were eaten by hyena. Uh -huh. And so now a hyena skin with an inscription is a piece of Gennad, which needs to be uh, brought back to the wastes, to the place where the god is reassembled. Oh, so that's what this is about. Because yeah, and, I was gonna ask. Uh, the chief priest of the market has received such a thing, and now is under obligation to go into the wastes, and he can only push it off to a desert tracker. Desert trackers mm -hmm. are a special subcult of Isaris, but yeah, this shows that the Atreus card really is the Isaris card with uh, some uh, new things. Because an Atreus priest is obliged to follow this Isaris Geas, really. Where is that desert tracker uh, subcult? Uh, it's mentioned in Cards of Cracks, really. Oh, really? I missed it. Damn. <laughs> um, but yeah, because um, yeah, the next part of the story is effectively uh, this, where somebody uh, comes ashore in a ship and basically tries to push this piece of skin to Biturian, which he recognizes as a patch yeah. of skin from uh, the dead god Gennert. And, and funnily enough, that person who comes on the ship, uh, who is surprised to see a light bringer merchant there and says like, did you not see the big red glow around the whole city? <laughs> which is, uh, uh, which means that uh, a lot of the ships from Lightbringer countries uh, like the Holy Country would be avoiding the place, which is why there's uh, nobody to sell anything to. Um, and so that kind of makes Biturian sound uh, look a bit stupid. I mean, what, what is this glow? Is this part of the ritual that was performed over sacred time that possibly caused the, the death of the, uh, the livestock, um, but certainly was done at, at, at terrible cost? Now, is this uh, like a homing beacon saying, welcome traders, everybody come and trade? Or, <laughs> I have or, a theory here. Is, oh, yeah. Um, it might be uh, lunar magicians reassembling the watchdog of Corflu. So you have to explain what the watchdog of Corflu is. The watchdog of Corflu is a, a reconstruction of one of the god learner statues which uh, protected the uh, port of Feroda which basically was a statue of a cyclops. 
Okay, and that was the Feroda was the city uh, that was Feroda was the God Learner port for Rob Cradle. Uh, that port got smashed, I think, well, uh, by Praxians when uh, Rob Cradle had been overrun by the giants. And the, uh, the uh, remnants of this huge statue still survive, at least the arms and the head. And the Lunars managed to attach the arms to the head. So now there's this uh, weird monster of a cyclops head with two arms extending from the ears. It, it's a bizarre looking thing. And that monster takes a lot of uh, magic to construct. And maybe this red glow was from uh, infusing enough lunar magic into this construct. It's three years too early that, because it's 18, six, sorry, 16, 18 that the creature is reanimated, for one of better words. But it certainly could be something connected with their investigations in finding it, or indeed even a failed attempt. Or um, an ongoing attempt. Or an on, ongoing, but, but yeah, so that's a, an interesting idea. I mean, it, if it's something which they tried to do and it didn't come off exactly correctly during the uh, sacred time rituals, I mean, that would be why they were full of anguish, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, not, um, that's not dealt with, uh, with why they were so upset about the um, sacred time ceremony not being what they wanted. So, uh, yeah, let's, let me spin this a little longer. Um, if there's a ritual which drains life into this uh, statue, that would explain the disease of the beast. Interesting. Could it be uh, a reason, the reason why Verosh is trading for a, um, an unliving spell? If he's got some kind of wind that this is going on. Yeah, I mean... He, he's trading for turn undead. If there's something that's draining life, is this going to end up with a whole bunch of unliving knocking around? I don't know. Yeah, the Irithan priestess obviously has to do something about what's going on here. No bad deeds goes unopposed. So, yeah, uh, we know that the building of the Lunar Temple took a couple of years, and reanimating this statue... I don't think it's done with a hand wave and a formula. I like your theory. So, yeah, uh, that's one of the fun things about Ranta. You always find something here, something there, and when you connect the lines, you may find a true story or at least a good rumor. Naively, when they said there's a big glowing red light around the city, I figured they somehow have like some temporary glow spot going that they grab from somewhere maybe because uh, I think there are spells where you can yeah. temporarily make a glow spot right yes there are and if I want to create a lunar monster I probably won't want one true yes you would certainly be looking to have a, a localized glow spot to maximize your chances of um, yeah. performing your, your rites and ceremonies so, what, uh, so uh, now we have something to do in Feroda find out what the lunars did there copy their magic, and use it against them. But first you need to fight the weird statue. No, no, uh, Agrath is doing that fast. Yes. Oh, okay. Take care of. Oh, yeah, but Agrath <laughs> is doing all the cool stuff. Maybe he should send your characters on the mission to do it. Well, your characters are stuck on the cradle at the time. Oh, well. So I guess uh, this ends when 
Biturian tells the the high priest. So this this is a high priest of the um, who is also an Isaris priest, right? The one no, who well, he's, a, he's the, an Eteris priest who's he's the high priest of a market. But he, oh, okay. yeah. but he has to follow this uh, Isaris uh, gears, so he would have to pack up and leave his cozy place there and enter the oasis, hopefully with a guide, and hopefully survive to get to the place where the skin needs to be delivered. But Biturian refuses to do it, though. Biturian oh, yes. refuses yeah. to be his stand-in. Yeah. Um, he, the, he rubs his hands with delight and basically sticks two fingers up at him and says, no. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Which strikes me as, yeah, not very constructive uh, in terms of uh, finishing the Gazine thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> Because yeah, but... uh, that, that way you have lots of pieces of Gannard sent into the desert, lost with the carrier, only to pick, uh, only to show up again and again and again. But Varosh is only human. You know, he has been stiffed for the entire st- season. Yeah. Um, by a fallabadur. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I think he is only human, and he has the right to just say, "Get stuff." It's it's a good good uh, opportunity to bloat. <laughs> yeah. Besides which, if he had elected to take on the gears and as uh, the priest says to become a, a great desert tracker he wouldn't have been able to finish cults of Prax. yeah i mean it's, it w- would be a bit hard to place all the light bringers uh east of the river of cradles so yes I mean, yeah Okay, um, do we have any other comments on this episode in Corflu? Um, I'm not quite sure how he, he manages to leave there. He only has uh, Norayib and Morak to carry what's left of his goods. Yeah. So I Which imagine. Is virtually, virtually nothing. Well, he still has uh, some of the true stones. He has two pieces of true stone left, and that's it. Yeah. Doesn't he have like most of his inventory unsold because Corflu was such a yeah a dead market? So I would say he actually has quite a lot still. But he has him. nothing to carry with. Yes, exactly. So yeah, he's he's bartered away everything which he needs for food. Yeah, um, there's he hasn't sold anything at the uh, Wolf Pirates. There's been no trade from the Holy Land, except for this one ship that turns up. So, yeah, he's he's pretty financially ruined. Um, In in fact, skipping into the next one, he's reduced to looking for herbs um, and flowers out of season to sell. The big mystery, the big mystery of his whole um, sojourn in there, which I think is interesting, is he has... At least one set of slave bracelets. Yeah. Which yeah. he could have just taken off at any time um, from uh, Nori mm-hmm. and you know, sold it on to, to somebody for whatever price. And it stated that the minimum price for those are three, uh, 3,050 lunar. So why didn't he sell that off and get the fudge out of Dodge? Well, maybe um, there was nobody who wanted to buy it at that price. 
everybody wants slave bracelets. And even if you sold it for a tenth of that price, you could still have got out. So again, it comes back to what York was saying. What then there must be something that is compelling him to stay there. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bitoria still may have uh, some letters of uh, recommendation, uh, which he can use with other Isteries merchants, but there aren't any here. Because uh, uh, when he returns to Pervis, he seems to have some uh, liquid assets again. Maybe something stout with a tender also. He might, <clears throat> he might stash some stuff, I guess, yeah. Um, when he returns to Pervis, he certainly has one piece of true stone left. I think they're probably skipping ahead. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see you next time we return to Bitterian's travels. Okay, so um, I think the conclusion here for at least those three segments are um, that uh, yeah, things don't really go well for Bitterian um, during that leg of his travels uh any other parting words it's uh, really astonishing that he uh, keeps going to prex but then <laughs> you're a trader what are you gonna do <laughs> well go go where the profits are <laughs> i think the, the the most interesting thing is the from from the from the game mechanic is how the um the diaries leading you through the different spells, the different cults, uh, and the different personalities and, and doing the, the referencing back to other things, which is still happening today. You know, there are uh, characters still keep appearing um, in RQG as they did back in RQ2. And the other one is, is this subtext that um, you've identified um, on, the, on the podcast is that there is this underpinning of unwritten hero quests going on. And it just happens that through this telling, um, Varosh keeps on ending up being dragged into these, whether he wants it or not. So we, we, we have this uh, event that goes on in Paris that he happens to be dragged into. We have, one could almost say, a, a blatant um, mini hero quest at the Sunland Temple. And then there's certainly something going on to keep him here uh, at Corflu. It's something that, that's part of the world, and it's just really unfortunate for, uh, for Rush that he just keeps on ending up blundering into these, uh, these things and, and, and being dragged into things which aren't part of the mundane world. Yeah, but then he's a priest and he's dealing with uh, magic for, uh, for and from hero quests, like selling off his password again and again. But it's not what I signed up for. I just wanted to make an honest spell. <laughs> yeah, but then, of course, selling his magic is uh, always another source of income. So um, spell trading really is uh, one thing that uh, he can use to get back to his feet. Yes, that's, he, he has that spell. We know he has that spell and we know that he is, um, is trading for it. Maybe that's where the real profits come from. 
uh, then uh, selling magic uh, brings you in contact with all of these hero questy things. I'm possibly walking around in, with two lumps of the block in your in your pocket doesn't help either. Yeah, and the cursed child we have. Yes, uh, he has quite the shipload there. He is a hero quest magnet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and continues to be. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, we are running out of time, yeah, so definitely. Thanks again, Drew, for nerding out with us. You're very welcome. It's been great fun. Thank you for having me on. And uh, again, if people haven't checked out the Quick and Dirty series or the Rebel Runner series on the Johnston Compendium, they should do it now. Yes. Uh, links are in the show notes. Uh, and uh, send a few dollars towards Drew so he can write more stuff. Yeah, links in the show notes. <laughs> well, thanks, Drew. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of The God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com, where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond. <laughs>